This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of ankle fractures from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Ankle fractures can have several injury patterns, such as isolated medial malleolus fractures, isolated lateral malleolus fractures, bimalleolar and bimalleolar equivalent fractures, posterior malleolus fractures, Bosworth fracture dislocations, open ankle fractures, associated syndesmotic injuries, or an isolated syndesmosis injury. With respect to the relevant anatomy, as far as biomechanics, the deltoid ligament, specifically the deep portion, is the primary restraint to anterolateral talar displacement. The fibula acts as a buttress to prevent lateral displacement of the talus. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include AP, lateral, mortis, and an external rotation stress view, which is the most appropriate stress radiograph to assess competency of the deltoid ligament. This is more sensitive to injury than medial tenderness, ecchymosis, or edema. A gravity stress radiograph is technically equivalent to a manual stress radiograph. A full-length tibia or proximal tibia films should be done to rule out a masonu-type fracture. Findings on plane films may include syndesmotic injury, which corresponds to decreased tibiofibular overlap, and to determine this, you will measure at the point of maximum overlap. Normal is greater than 6 mm on the AP view, normal is greater than 1 mm on the mortise view, and keep in mind, however, that it has also been reported that there is no actual correlation between syndesmotic injury and tibiofibular clear space or overlap measurements. Increased medial clear space is another potential finding in syndesmotic injuries. Normal is less than or equal to 4 mm on the mortise or stress view. A medial clear space of greater than 5 mm with external rotation stress applied to a dorsiflexed ankle is predictive of deep deltoid disruption. An increased tibiofibular clear space is another potential finding with syndesmotic injuries. And to determine this, you will measure the clear space 1 cm above the joint. Normal is less than 6 mm on both AP and mortise views. Other findings on plane films may include lateral malleolus fractures and the talocrural angle, is measured by the bisection of a line through the tibial anatomical axis and another line through the tips of the malleoli. Shortening of lateral malleoli fractures can lead to an increased talocrural angle. However, keep in mind that the talocrural angle is not 100% reliable for estimating restoration of fibular length. You can also utilize the realignment of the medial fibular prominence with the tibiotalar joint. You may also see posterior malleolus fractures on plane films, which correspond to a double contour sign and or the misty mountain sign. As far as the classification of ankle fractures, the ones to know include the Log-Hansen classification, an anatomic-slash-descriptive classification, the Denny-Weber classification, and the AO-slash-ATA classification. The Log-Hansen classification is based on foot position and the force of applied stress-slash-force, This has been shown to predict the observed ligamentous injury in less than 50% of operatively treated fractures. The Log-Hansen classification has four types, supination adduction, supination external rotation, pronation abduction, and pronation external rotation. As far as the sequence in supination adduction mechanisms, first you will have a talofibular sprain or distal fibular avulsion, and then you will have a vertical medial malleolus and impaction of the anteromedial distal tibia. In a supination external rotation mechanism, the sequence of events include 1. anterior tibiofibular ligament sprain, 2. lateral short oblique fibular fracture that is antero-inferior to posterior-superior, 3. you will have a posterior tibiofibular ligament rupture or avulsion of the posterior malleolus, 
and four, you will have a medial malleolus transverse fracture or disruption of the deltoid ligament. Moving on to pronation abduction mechanisms, the sequence of events include one, medial malleolus transverse fracture or disruption of the deltoid ligament, two, anterior tibiofibular ligament sprain, and three, transverse comminuted fracture of the fibula above the level of the syndesmosis. In a pronation external rotation mechanism, the sequence of events include one, medial malleolus transverse fracture or disruption of the deltoid ligament, two, anterior tibiofibular ligament disruption, three, lateral short oblique or spiral fracture of the fibula that is anterosuperior to posteroinferior above the level of the joint, and four, posterior tibiofibular ligament rupture or avulsion of the posterior malleolus. Moving on to the anatomic slash descriptive classification, these include isolated medial malleolar fractures, isolated lateral malleolar fractures, bimalleolar fractures, trimalleolar fractures, and a Bosworth fracture dislocation, which is a posterior dislocation of the fibula behind the incisura fibularis. Moving on to the Denis-Weber classification, this classification is based on the location of the fibular fracture, and it's subdivided into three types, A, B, and C. A Weber A is an infrasyndesmotic injury that is generally not associated with ankle instability. A Weber B is a transsyndesmotic injury, and a Weber C is a suprasyndesmotic injury. Moving on to the AO slash OTA classification, this is subdivided into three types, 44A, 44B, and 44C. 44A is infrasyndesmotic, 44B is transsyndesmotic, and 44C is suprasyndesmotic. As far as the general treatment for ankle fractures, this can be either non-operative or operative. Non-operative management consists of a short leg walking cast slash boot, and the indications for this are for isolated non-displaced medial malleolus fractures or tip avulsions, isolated lateral malleolus fractures with less than 3 millimeters displacement and no talar shift, bimalleolar fractures if the patient is elderly or unable to undergo surgical intervention, and posterior malleolar fractures with less than 25% joint involvement or less than 2 mm step-off. Operative options include open reduction and internal fixation. Indications include any Taylor displacement, a displaced isolated medial malleolar fracture, a displaced isolated lateral malleolar fracture, a bimalleolar fracture and bimalleolar equivalent fracture, a posterior malleolar fracture with greater than 25% or greater than 2 mm step-off, Bosworth fracture dislocations, open fractures, and malleolar non-unions. As far as the technique, the goal of treatment for an open reduction internal fixation is stable anatomic reduction of the talus in the ankle mortis. Remember that a 1 mm shift of the talus leads to 42% decrease in tibiotalar contact area. We will talk about specific treatments for various fracture patterns in a moment. As far as the outcomes of open reduction internal fixation, there is an overall success rate of 90%. However, prolonged recovery is expected in that you will have to wait two years to obtain a final functional result. Other outcomes for open reduction internal fixation is that significant functional impairment is often noted, and anatomic reduction is considered the most important factor for a satisfactory outcome. Worse outcomes occur with smoking, decreased education, alcohol use, and the presence of a medial malleolar fracture. Remember that ORIF is superior to closed treatment of bimalleolar fractures. In Log-Hansen supination adduction fractures, restoration of marginal impaction of the anteromedial tibial plafond leads to optimal functional results after surgery. As far as postoperative rehabilitation, time for proper braking response time in driving returns to baseline at nine weeks for operatively treated ankle fractures. 
breaking travel time is significantly increased until six weeks after initiation of weight-bearing in both long bone and periarticular fractures of the lower extremity. Now let's talk about the treatment for specific ankle fracture patterns. In isolated medial malleolus fractures, this can be treated either non-operatively or operatively. Non-operative management includes short leg walking cast or cast boot, and the indications is for a non-displaced fracture and tip avulsions. And remember that the deep deltoid inserts on the posterior colliculus. Symptomatic treatment is often appropriate for non-displaced fractures and tip avulsions. Operative options in the form of open reduction internal fixation for isolated medial malleolus fractures are indicated for any displacement or talar shift. The specific techniques for this fracture pattern may include lag screw fixation, anti-glide plate with lag screw, or tension band fixation. With respect to lag screw fixation, lag screw fixation is stronger if placed perpendicular to the fracture line. With respect to an anti-glide plate with a lag screw, this is best for vertical shear fractures. And finally, tension band fixation utilizes stainless steel wire. Moving on to isolated lateral malleolus fractures, treatment can involve non-operative or operative options. Non-operative options include a short leg walking cast versus a cast boot. Indications include if there is an intact mortise, no talar shift, and less than 3 millimeters of displacement. Classically, fractures with more than 4 to 5 millimeters of medial clear space widening on stress radiographs have been considered unstable and need to be treated surgically. However, recent studies have shown the deep deltoid may be intact with up to 8 to 10 millimeters of widening on stress radiographs. If the mortise is well reduced, results from operative and non-operative treatment are similar. Operative options include open reduction internal fixation for isolated lateral malleolus fractures, and the indications include if there is talar shift or greater than 3 millimeters of displacement. This can be treated operatively if also treating an ipsilateral syndesmosis injury. As far as the specific technique of open reduction internal fixation in isolated lateral malleolus fractures, this can include open reduction and in plating, intramedullary retrograde screw placement, and isolated lag screw fixation. With respect to open reduction and plating, plate placement can be lateral or posterior. Lateral plate placement is done for lag screw fixation with neutralization plating, as well as for a bridge plate technique. Posterior plate placement is done for an anti-glide technique and lag screw fixation with neutralization plating. The most common disadvantage of using posterior anti-glide plating is perineal irritation if the plate is placed too distally. However, keep in mind that posterior anti-glide plating is biomechanically superior to lateral plate placement. With respect to isolated lag screw fixation, this is possible if the fibula is in a spiral pattern and screws can be placed at least one centimeter apart. Fixation of a medial malleolus fracture for a transverse pattern can be done through lag by technique using 3.5 fully threaded screws, which is biomechanically superior to lag by design using 4.0 partially threaded screws. With respect to postoperative care, the period of immobilization is usually 4 to 6 weeks after open reduction internal fixation. The duration of immobilization should be doubled in diabetic patients. Moving on to medial and lateral or bimalleolar fracture patterns, treatment can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management can involve total contact casting, which is indicated in the elderly or patients unable to undergo surgical intervention. Operative options include open reduction internal fixation, and the indications are for any talar shift. As far as the technique, with respect to the fibula, you need to fix with one of the options that we just mentioned, and that is open reduction in plating, intramedullary retrograde screw placement, or isolated lag screw fixation. With respect to the medial malleolus, fixation options include cancellous lag screws, bicortical screws, 
tension band wiring, or an anti-glide plate to treat a vertical medial malleolus fracture. Make sure to orient screws parallel to the joint for vertical medial malleolar fractures, that is the Log-Hansen supination adduction fracture pattern. As far as a functional bimalleolar fracture, that is when there's a ligament tear with a fibula fracture, this is typically only treated operatively. So the option is open reduction and internal fixation of the lateral malleolus. As far as the indications, keep in mind that examination has been shown to be largely unreliable in predicting medial injury. You can see significant lateral translation of the talus in this pattern. As far as the operative technique for a functional bimalleolar fracture, remember that it is not necessary to repair the medial deltoid ligament. You will only need to explore medially if you are unable to reduce the mortis. As far as fixation options for the fibula fracture, this is again open reduction and plating, intramedullary retrograde screw placement, or isolated lag screw fixation. Moving on to posterior malleolar fractures, these can be treated non-operatively or operatively. Non-operative options include a short leg walking cast versus a cast boot. The indications include less than 25% of the articular surface involved. Remember that evaluation of percentage should be done with a CT scan as planned radiology is unreliable. Other indications include less than two millimeters of articular step off and syndesmotic stability. Operative options include open reduction internal fixation. Indications include greater than 25% of articular surface being involved, greater than 2 millimeters of articular step-off, and or syndesmosis injury. As far as the operative technique, the approach can be either a posterolateral lateral approach or a posterior medial approach. The decision of the approach will depend on the fracture lines and need for fibular fixation. With respect to fixation, an anterior to posterior lag screw can be done to capture the fragment if it's non-displaced, you can also do a posterior to anterior lag screw and a buttress plate, as well as an anti-glide plate. In a syndesmosis injury, the stiffness of the syndesmosis is restored to 70% of normal with isolated fixation of the posterior malleolus versus 40% with an isolated syndesmosis fixation. Stress examination of the syndesmosis is still required after posterior malleolar fixation. The posterior inferior tibiofibular ligament may remain attached to the posterior malleolus and syndesmotic stability may be restored with isolated posterior malleolar fixation. Moving on to a Bosworth fracture dislocation, this is a rare fracture dislocation of the ankle where the fibula becomes entrapped behind the tibia and becomes irreducible. A posterolateral ridge of the distal tibia hinders reduction of the fibula. Operative options include open reduction and fixation of the fibula in the incisura fibularis. This is indicated in most cases. There's a hyperplantar fixation variant in a Bosworth fracture dislocation, and this is a fracture dislocation of the ankle due to hyperplantar flexion. The main feature is a vertical shear fracture of the posteromedial tibial rim. The spur sign is a double cortical density at the inferomedial tibial metaphysis. As far as operative options, fixation of the posteromedial and posterior fragments with anti-glide plating is indicated. Moving on to an open ankle fracture, these are always treated operatively, and the options are either emergent operative debridement and open reduction internal fixation, or external fixation. With respect to emergent operative debridement and open reduction internal fixation, this is indicated if soft tissue conditions allow. Primary closure at the index procedure can be performed in appropriately selected Gastillo-Anderson grade 1, 2, and 3A open fractures in otherwise healthy patients sustaining low-energy injuries without gross contamination. External fixation is indicated for soft tissue conditions and overall patient characteristics. Moving on to an associated syndesmotic injury, suspect syndesmotic injury in all ankle fractures. 
Keep in mind, however, that they are most common in Weber C fracture patterns. Fixation is usually not required when the fibula fracture is within 4.5 centimeters of the plafond. And keep in mind that up to 25% of tibial shaft fractures will have an ankle injury. As far as evaluation for a syndesmotic injury, make sure to measure the clear space one centimeter above the joint. It has also been reported that there is no actual correlation between syndesmotic injury and tibiofibular clear space or overlap measurements. A lateral stress radiograph has more inter-observer reliability than an AP-slash-mortis stress film. The best option is to assess stability intraoperatively with abduction-slash-external rotation stress of the dorsiflex foot. Instability of the syndesmosis is greatest in the anterior-posterior direction. As far as treatment for associated syndesmotic injury, this is always operative and should involve syndesmotic screw fixation. The indications include widening of the medial clear space, tibiofibular clear space greater than 5 millimeters, tibiofibular overlap that is narrowed, any postoperative malalignment or widening should be treated with open debridement, reduction, and fixation. With respect to the technique, length and rotation of the fibula must be accurately restored. Outcomes are strongly correlated with anatomic reduction. So placing a reduction clamp on the mid-medial ridge and the fibular ridge at the level of the syndesmosis will achieve most reliable anatomic reduction. The dime sign slash sentence line is used to determine the length of the fibula. Open reduction is required if closed reduction is unsuccessful or questionable. One or two cortical screws 2 to 4 centimeters above the joint angled posterior to anterior 20 to 30 degrees is typically done. A lag technique is not desired. Maximum dorsiflexion of the ankle is not required during screw placement. Keep in mind that maximum dorsiflexion of the ankle is not required during screw placement. You can't over-tighten a properly reduced syndesmosis. Postoperatively, screws should be maintained in place for at least 8 to 12 weeks. Patients must remain non-weight-bearing as screws are not biomechanically strong enough to withstand forces of ambulation. A few controversies to go over with respect to number of screws, one or two are most commonly reported. As far as the number of cortices, three or four are most commonly reported. As far as the size of the screws, 3.5 millimeter or 4.5 millimeter screws are typically used. As far as implant material, stainless steel screws, titanium screws, suture, or bioabsorbable materials are the options. As far as need for hardware removal, there is no difference in outcomes seen with hardware maintenance that is breakage or loosening or removal at one year. However, outcome may be worse with maintenance of intact screws. Moving on to diabetic ankle fractures with or without neuropathy, the risks include prolonged healing, high risk of hardware failure, and high risk of infection. With respect to enhanced fixation, multiple quadricortical syndesmotic screws, even in the absence of syndesmotic injury, are typically carried out. Other enhanced fixation techniques include tibio-taylor Steinman pins or hindfoot nailing, ankle-spanning external fixation, augmenting with intramedullary fibula K-wires, stiffer, more rigid fibular plates that is instead of one-third tubular plates, and these include compression plates or small fragment locking plates. Make sure to delay weight-bearing in these patients, that is maintain non-weight-bearing post-op for 8 to 12 weeks instead of 4 to 8 weeks in normal patients. Non-operative treatment can be carried out in stable unimalleolar ankle fractures, however there is an increased risk for Charcot arthropathy, loss of reduction which is the greatest risk, and infection. Finally, let's talk about some surgical complications, specifically wound problems, deep infections, malunion, and post-traumatic arthritis. Wound problems make up 4-5% to of surgical complications in ankle fractures. Deep infections make up 1-2% to 
of complications in ankle fractures. However, they can be up to 20% in diabetic patients. The largest risk factor for diabetic patients is the presence of peripheral neuropathy. With respect to malunion, there is a high suspicion for articular impaction of the tibial plafond in supination adduction injuries, which should be addressed at the time of surgery. Finally, with respect to post-traumatic arthritis, this is rare with anatomic reduction and fixation. Corrective osteotomy requires anatomic fibular and mortis correction for optimal outcomes. That's all for this review about ankle fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.